<laughs> Hello and welcome to Rich in Relationship. And today we are interviewing Bill Donaldson, who's a new friend. He's a divorce financial expert, a mediator, and a coach. And he's also the founder of a not-for-profit called Love Has a Way, uh, has a home, excuse me. Love Has a Way, we know, but the not-for-profit is Love Has a Home. How are you today, Bill? I'm great. Thank you for having me, Rich. Such a pleasure to have you and to get to know you a little better. And the question that I ask everyone, first question everyone gets right out of the box, it's a <laughs> tough one, is how did your heart or your passion lead you to do the work that you do? That is a good question. Um, it's a question that you have to sometimes have to go back a little bit and track you know, where my heart took me to get mm. to where I am. And the first place it took me was a career with the Connecticut State Police. Mm -hmm. And in that, in that uh, incarnation, <laughs> whatever you want to call it, uh, my heart was leading me to help people, to serve people. And, uh, but when I got into that job, something, was, something felt wrong, a little off. I wasn't sure what it was. But I think now I look back and I can see that there is really, and it still exists today, it's a problem I believe in law enforcement, is an us versus them attitude. And I think it's there as a form of maybe protection. Um, because you know, if you have too much compassion for the person you have to put in jail, it could be difficult. <laughs> so I think there's a big separation between police and those who they deal with. Absolutely. You know, um, as you know from conversations we've had earlier, I have multiple family members who have participated in law enforcement in various ways. And in my experience, from what they shared with me, part of it also is, and I really want to make even though we're going through a time where law enforcement is seriously being questioned, yeah, uh, and and probably rightly so, anytime we give someone that kind of authority, uh, when we give someone authority, I think we have the right to question how they use the authority. But at the same time, I want to just say that I think that so many people in law enforcement find themselves in the position of seeing situations, painful situations, horrible situations, corrupt situations, like they are at the, in the position of protecting all of us regular folks, I'm going to put in quotation marks, from people who are uh, leading some incredibly devious, abusive, horrible, taking advantage of other people's lives, and then people who are just plain old having a hard time. And I think you kind of have to develop a thick skin in order to deal with that. And, and yeah, so that's where that us and them thing starts. Uh, yeah. but, you know, but of course it's so much, like I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying, I think we have to have empathy for, the, our, for our friends, or if you want to call them enemies, enemies in law enforcement, because they're in this really tough position of maintaining law and order, you know, and at the same time, emotionally, they're facing things that they're keeping us, the rest of us from being engaged in. And right. so it's, when you have that kind of empathy, you start to understand how an, a law enforcement officer might cross the line in ways that are unimaginable to the average human being. Yeah, for sure. And I certainly don't condone a lot of the things that are happening out there. Um, but yeah, there's a piece of it that you can't understand unless you've been in those shoes. Mm -hmm. And that's the incredible amount of stress um, what that does to you. And also, like you said, that, that challenge of 
you know, to some degree you need to have compassion so that you're fair and you don't, you know, you treat people the way they should be treated. But if it, if it's too, if you go too far with it, then it becomes like difficult to do the job sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I think that may have been where I found some challenges because, you know, I did feel a lot of compassion for the people that I was dealing with and it was perceived as weakness by says, says the founder of love has a home right <laughs> yeah that's been, absolutely understandable so that's you know, been with me. That, that environment was very restricting of your compassion in some ways and how did it take you to the sort of next phase in your life well i i ended my career a little early i did 13 years which you know is still a pretty long career pretty respectable but uh you know seven years short of a full career but uh to me at that time, seven years is, was too, too much. Um, and I had been dabbling with um, a part-time financial planning practice just as you know, another way to make some extra money. And I got excited about the opportunity to be an entrepreneur and do my own thing. I didn't like being sort of in that box of the government you know, restrictions and you know, you can work real hard, but you only get this much money. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I left and I was pursuing this financial career. And I, you know, back then I was mostly pursuing money, which, you know, really isn't what I was, you know, my soul was <laughs> pursuing something else and uh, my ego thought I was gonna go out and get rich or something like that. But, but what it did do is it provided an environment for me to continue looking sort of within uh, because I was now fending for myself, not just being taken care of by a government. So mm -hmm. it pushed, it put me on a track of doing a lot of inner work and inner searching for, you know, what makes someone successful. And it just kept bringing me more down a spiritual track. And um, so eventually I started doing things like becoming a mediator, mm. working in the divorce area and helping people resolve conflict peacefully. And, you know, so that sort of peacekeeping part of me came back alive mm. in this, what seems to be a totally different career. People ask me like, how the heck did you go from being a state trooper to a financial advisor? I'm like, well, I don't know, it just sort of happened, but um, I, I managed to sort of merge the two together in that way. Um, but then there was a spiritual piece and that wanted to come through. So I started doing more holistic work. I got very interested in social uh, responsible investing and um, you know the whole peacekeeping aspect of it. Um, I became a money coach because I knew there was something deeper than just giving someone a financial plan to help them have a prosperous, happy life. Because um, most people don't really follow the plan you give them <laughs> anyway. So I became a money coach, which has a spiritual side to it. It's like two sides of a coin, you know, there's the practical side and then there's a spiritual side. Um, if you don't do the inner work, no matter how much money you have, you're just not going to be happy. And I'm sure your listeners or viewers know a lot of people that have a lot of money that are not happy people. So in fact, sometimes the people without much money are the happiest people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's like, how do you reconcile that? So that's where the, the coaching work came in to help people sort of do that inner work and find that inner peace, as well as having the, you know, the financial comfort um, that they need. So. Got it. So I hear this, there's this consistent thread from 
law enforcement to um, financial planner to to divorce forward slash money coach, you know, of, of peace. And I hear that when you left law enforcement, the compact you really had the opportunity for compassion. Compassion being empathy and action. You see through other people's eyes and help them to find their way through whatever it is they're going through. And I also thought it was really interesting um, you, that you left law enforcement seven years short of the 20 year mark, which is when you get all the gravy. Mm-hmm. And so it, it was that this, you honored your emotional need before the love of money, we'll call it, you know, um, and that that actually is sort of consistent here also that you know, I think a lot of times when people get divorced, for example, 40% of all marriages are broken up over financial disputes. And I think something like 60% of all marriages have some form of financial dispute going on in them statistically. And those numbers mm-hmm. vary depending on who gives them, but still it's a pretty significant number. Yeah. And so that, that theme of peace and money and you know, where's the middle line is sort of consistent in what you chose as well. So I have a question about money and divorce. So many of my clients who come to me to work, I get, I work with individuals who are, I have people, individuals who come to me who have someone that they perceive as being very toxic on the other side. And often money can become something they get hung up on. They'll ultimately mm-hmm. safety, well, kind of the same thing, safety from that person. But also there's this, there's this belief that if they have a certain amount of money, then they're going to ensure their safety. Right. Um, before I ask the question, let me just lay this out for the listeners. You know, money is, first of all, money is a symbol. Yeah. I mean, money actually, what is it? I mean, it's really just paper that the government prints. You know, there, yeah. used, to be a, there used to be a time when money was backed by actual gold so right. then the value of the money was determined by the gold, but a long time ago on a planet far, far away, you know, we let go of the gold standard. And mm-hmm. now the currency has the value that we believe that it has. Exactly. So when you think about what is money, it really has the power and the value that we give it, which is right. kind of mind blowing when you think about it, right? It seems very concrete and I got to have it. So, yeah. but, so if it's actually symbolic, and now I'm working up to my question, finally. If it's actually symbolic, what do you think money comes to symbolize for people that it becomes something that they're willing to fight their partner over? Like 60 or 70% of all partnerships or marriages have some form of financial strife and 40 of them end because of it. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll dive into that one. It's a deep pool, but I, I'm happy to jump in there. Um, to me and through my coaching work, and research on this, it really comes down to what program are you running, you know, in your subconscious mind about money. Mm. And you know, we all come into this world like as a brand new computer, you know, with just an operating system, but really very little programs. You know, you can turn it on and it comes on and it, you know, works, mm-hmm. but you can't do too much yet. <laughs> And then as we right, grow we, up, can bar- we can barely move our own, when we come to the world, we barely can move our own bodies. Yeah. Right? Like the first thing that you see, most babies are trying to figure out how to do that with their, just yeah. for those of you who are listening on the podcast, I moved my index finger. Yeah. They're trying to figure out, how, their babies are trying to figure out how to do that. And then their primary concern is that they get fed, 
that they get love, that they get to sleep, that they get burped, and that they get clean, yeah. right? Yeah. And so oh, they learn, they have only one response to those things generally, and it's wham, right? That's right. the only tool in their arsenal. Yeah, so they're just, just, just wide open, you know, perfect computer. I don't want to say perfect, but you know what I mean? It's, it's just ripe for programming, and guess who gets to do the programming? Mom and dad. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and neuroscience tells us that between ages of two and 12, 95% of our programming is baked in, it's done. So um, along that, you know, along that span of life, we're hearing mom and dad talk about money. We're hearing them complain about money. We're hearing them tell us things about money. Or maybe we're hearing them pursue money and adore money and think it's really important. I mean, it yeah. just depends on the household. Right. Yeah. Mom is never home. Dad's never home because they're always at work or they're, all, you know, or whatever it is. It's not always healthy stuff. Or one parent is home and the other one's working full time. And then there's a dispute about that. Oh, well, I earn the money. Oh, well, I hold up the household. You yeah. think that's not as good as working for a living? I mean, th there's all kinds of tension that comes out of this relationship. Yeah, exactly. So what happens is so these programs get you know, that get plugged in, get installed into our subconscious mind. And between the ages of 12 and, you know, 18 or whatever, you're not really engaging those programs too much because we're not independent yet. We're still just relying on other people to take care of us. But then we go out into the world and we have to start, you know, having a relationship with money and all these programs kick in. And that's where people find themselves you know, having a little trouble. Sometimes they're going to want to do the opposite of what they grew up with because mm -hmm. they don't want to be like that. And sometimes right. they just run the same program because it's unconscious and mm -hmm. they don't really realize it. So when that, in the context of couples coming together, they have very different programs around money running. And each of them expects the other to be like them when it comes to money. Um, you know, they have their beliefs about it um, and they have certain expectations of the other person when it comes to money and they don't necessarily communicate that. Mm -hmm. They also don't understand what the other person's programs are and where they came from and why they're there. So mm -hmm. when I work with couples around money, the first thing we do is what we call a money bio, which is they write down every uh, significant, um, you know, event around money in their lifetime that they can remember from mm -hmm. the first memory of my grandpa gave me five bucks for my birthday. And I thought it was awesome or, you know, and on and on and on. And then it gets into what their parents were like, and it can dig up a lot of painful stuff. I've had people really struggle with this exercise because they had, they had a lot of pain in their childhood. Um, then once that's done, they read the bio to each other and it's incredible what happens in that, you know, in that opportunity to share, um, where they're coming from. And a lot of times there's, there's a lot of compassion that comes out of that. And like, oh my God, I had no idea that that's what you were going through, you know, as a kid. And now I understand why you are the way you are. Now I understand why you're afraid to spend a penny because you grew up in that complete lack mentality around money and you're just running your program. So 
And for those of you who are listening, right, it may sound strange that a couple might only just discover that by writing it out and talking to each other about it. But remember what Bill said is that a lot of this stuff is unconscious or semi-conscious, like, like the, the studies show that from zero to seven, we almost have no sense of self. We're just absorbing like a sponge, absorbing, absorbing, right. absorbing. From seven to 12, we start to form a sense of self based on what we've absorbed, absorbed, absorbed. From 13 and on, we're going through all those good physical changes. And now we're trying to figure out how to apply all those things, what's going to work, what isn't. And a lot of that stuff becomes set, but we're not really processing it. We're not really thinking about it. We're on yeah. automatic. And even as, a, even as adults, for the most part, many of us are just on automatic. And though those mm -hmm. the, the experiences are there within us, it's very rare that a couple will get together and talk about why they, nope. when yeah. people get married, uh, they, they fall in love, they get married, bam, they go through a major change because it's a big commitment. The, by definition, the commitment of I'm, I'm in it for the long haul with you changes us. And at the same time, all your unconscious programming about what a marriage is supposed to be kicks in. And then yeah. you've got all your, but it's unconscious. Right. Exactly. So all of a sudden you go, who the hell is that? That's not the person I married. No, mm -hmm. it's their mother. It's their father. It's their uncle. Exactly. It's their grandfather showing up. It's all that stuff that they absorbed. And what Bill is saying is this is what happens with money also. And so exactly. this, I love this process that you have this sort of individually uncovering and discovering because it's all there and available. We just need to look. Yeah. Unconscious doesn't mean we can't access it. It just means mm -hmm. we don't think about it. So it's yeah. kind of like this. Um, our, our brain has our heart beating automatically and us breathing without thinking. And our, our brain also has us going, dealing, navigating socially without thinking to some extent based on, well, this is what's worked. This is what's worked, even if it's right. not working that well. So it's really just uncovering the process that's already happening. And it, exactly. it is uncoverable and so cool. What a it cool is. process it's, you have. Yeah, it always starts with awareness because you can't treat something in, if you're not aware of it. So it's just like going to get a diagnosis, you know, from probably more so a naturopath, but like, let's really find out what's behind this and why you have any symptoms. Um, and that's what it's about. It's uncovering, digging deep. Why is this behavior happening? What's behind it? What's deep down? It's not because you don't know what you're doing and you don't know, you know, don't know about money yeah. or whatever. It's, it's a deep program and in any kind of couples coaching or therapy or whatever we're going to call it the breakthrough always happens when there's understanding of one another that's so that's what's so cool about that work you're doing so how did that there's this somehow this thread took you to love has a home what's the connection between this is work yeah. that you're doing this really deep beautiful work that you're doing with couples around money which seems very sort of mundane but it isn't um and love has a home yeah, that's like a, a, it's a parallel track, but it's a different track. And, and that happened. Um, it happened one day about three and a half years ago. It was October of 2017. Uh, it was a few months after the Charlottesville incident where, mm -hmm. you know, a car was driven into a group of peaceful protesters. They were protesting a, a white supremacy rally. And, uh, you know, it's a person drove a car into a crowd and killed a lady and injured 19 people. And it was a huge, you know, it was a hate, there's a huge racial incident, right? And um, the reaction was to, you know, fight hate, you know, let's, let's fight hate. And there are a bunch of lawn signs that sprung up that said, hate has no home here. And it's a good sentiment. We don't want hate, of course, but I, I saw this sign on my way to work and I'm like, I don't like seeing the word hate. 
I just don't want to see it. It just doesn't make me feel good. And so I just kind of was sitting with that as I was driving. And then I get into the center of town, Westport, where I was in my office was, and there's a group of people carrying a banner. Um, and the banner had this huge word on the front of it in capital letters, and it was hate. And then underneath that, it talked about how we shouldn't hate or whatever. But I just remember seeing hate again. And I'm like, we're not going to fix this by just putting hate out there, even if it's in opposition to hate. It's still a negative energy. And right. Well, if you're, if you're driving down the road and you want to go to love, you don't have your eyes on hate because that pulls you off the road. Yeah. So I, uh, I was thinking to myself, like, there's got to be a more positive way we can do this without continuing that rhetoric of hate. And my mind just flipped the sign around to love has a home here. Mm -hmm. And I got to my office, I'm like, hmm, I wonder if that's even out there. Like I started researching and it wasn't. <laughs> so I'm like, wow, that's interesting. And then I Googled uh, or looked for our website address, love has a home and sure enough, that wasn't taken. And I end up trademarking the phrase love has a home, which you see behind me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, love has a home here is the logo. And, and here is obviously it's anywhere where the sign or the t-shirt or the hat or whatever it is happens to be. So if you have a lawn sign in front of your house, love has a home here. It's this very welcoming, open, you know, heartfelt message that if you go into this house, there's love there. Um, the other problem with hate has no home here. It doesn't say what does have a home, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know? Okay, there's no hate, that's good, but um, you know, what? what is there? So it just leaves, leaves the question. So I wanted to make it more of a very positive affirmation that, you know, there's love here. And I, I just hope that people, um, you know, align with that the whole point of it is trying to shift people's mindset away from resisting what they don't want to, you know, being proactive for what they do want. Let's all go out and be proactive, sharing love and not fighting against hate. And I, it's a subtle difference, but I think it's a huge difference. I think it's a lot like the work, a lot like the work you've been doing with couples. When I think about it, I think, uh, you know, when couples are fighting over money, they're not really fighting over money. They're right. fighting, they're, they're triggered because the other person has, has challenged them or presented a point of view that is not in alignment with what they learned as a child or growing up. And that brings up a lot of feeling, a lot of feeling they haven't had. And I think that situation you described in Charlotte, you know, if that person who drove the car into the crowd had had the time to know the people that he killed before he killed them, he probably never would have done that. But what That's happens not. is when we get scared or angry, we start to objectify what's on the other side. It's actually a lot like the police conversation we were having. Yeah. We start to objectify what's on the other side and they don't, they're no longer human beings to you. you know, yeah. and, and then that's when you're willing to attack your partner. That's when you're willing to cross lines that maybe you never thought you were willing to cross. Sure. It's, I think it comes down to connection. I think when we lose a real true deep connection to whether it's nature or other people it's easy to to attack it so how can people find you right how can they find you as a divorce financial expert mediator and coach and how can they and what what would you how would you like them to connect with love has a home 
Well, love has a the website for love has a home is lovehasahome.org. It's pretty simple. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's not about I'm not here like trying to raise money or whatever. It's really just about understanding where that message comes from and embodying that, you know, just kind of changing your mindset to um, promoting love instead of fighting against some, you know, mm -hmm. fighting against hate or fighting against this. It's, it's sort of like the law of motion for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction. So mm -hmm. if you're fighting against something that's going to just push back and you're going to end up, that's why the war on trick terror, the war on drugs, the war on poverty, they don't typically work because it's just this, you know, fighting, really? against yeah. so um it's like martin luther king i love the quote where he says darkness can't overcome darkness only light can and mm -hmm. hate can't overcome hate only love can so mm -hmm. it's like shining a light in the darkness that's the only way to get rid of the darkness is so love is that light that my goal is to just get lots of <laughs> love lights shining onto the dark dark corners of the world and healing the world so uh the financial it reminds me of a Grateful Dead song. There's this one line, take your hands out of your pockets and turn on your love light. Yeah. Yeah. There's also a great Robert, there's a great Robert Plant song. It's uh, turn on your love light, shine it all around. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and then the financial Donaldson financial wellness network is the name of my business. Um, I emphasize the wellness piece because it's not about just having enough money. It's about total wellness and mm -hmm. mind. Um, and that's donaldsonfwn.com, FWN for Financial Wellness Network. So, um, yeah, so that's it. You know, it's just just want to spread some peace and love around and make the world a little bit better. And we'll do our best to have all those links in the notes for the podcast and blog. So the question that I ask everyone as we come near the end, and sadly we're near the end, is... Mm -hmm. What is the legacy Bill Donaldson wants to leave behind? Well, I think I just sort of uh, answered that question already with my mission, which is to you know, start just shifting that mindset, shifting that paradigm of resisting what we don't want to you know, being proactive, you know, being for what we want. It's like Mother Teresa when she was asked, would you come to an anti-war rally? And she said, no, but when you have a pro-peace rally, I'll be there. Mm -hmm. So it's my legacy is that there's just a little bit more love, a little bit more compassion. Um, and that's that's my ministry. We didn't get into that, but I'm about to be ordained as an interfaith minister. To Congratulations. To uh, just be part of that promotion of love and compassion, uh, making that more formalized and... Uh, see where this is all taking me but it's a constant evolution um of where my life is going it's it's fun to sit and watch it unfold <laughs> nice nice yeah. i like the way you're allowing it to happen instead of trying to drive it yeah yeah that's for sure just sort of letting it go and letting go and letting god as wayne dyer used to say so. mm -hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much. Such a pleasure to have you and yeah, look forward to learning how love has a home and Donaldson financial wellness moves forward in the future. Thank you so much for having me. It was great.